Hi, I'm Jeff Grayson. This is the second half of a two-part interview. The guys have left the locker room. The halftime adjustments have been made. I think we can expect nothing less than 110%. It's season four of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. My name is Jim Martin, along with my co-host, Chris Beyer. Tonight, we're joined by a comedian and also an opera singer and also an actor, all wrapped up into one guy. Ethan Hershenfeld has been on several shows on CBS, HBO, FX, Stars, ABC. He can sing. He's uh, performed opera here in Milwaukee. Ethan Hershenfeld, welcome. Hello, Jim. Hello, Chris. Nice, uh, nice of you to have me. I, uh, I should make one correction, which is that I was an opera singer for a long time, but for the last several years, I stopped doing that. I just focus on my comedy and my acting. So, okay. And I, okay. but I did, yeah, I did spend a, a few months in Milwaukee on separate occasions. Each gig was about three weeks, and I was there four different times for a number of years. So I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Milwaukee. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And you, uh, you. You studied at Harvard for a little while, is that right? I, that's where I went to college. That's where okay, I started. That's, yeah, that's great. That's where I started doing my, uh, I see the H on the wall behind you on Zoom here. So. Yes, yes, that's uh, that's for my wife, Harper. Her name is Harper. Okay, but we can pretend it's Harvard for tonight. It's okay. <laughs> I'm a big Harvard fan. I put that up there just for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, Harvard, that's a very elite institution. Uh, is everybody around you a genius or is there a, is average Joes in Harvard? No, I don't think it's a. I don't think that this room's full of geniuses, but uh, people generally who 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 worked hard in high school and and had a lot of focus to to get into the school. But then it's got a it's got a it's a mix of people. There's some yeah, there's some real idiots there also. I mean, look at all the people who uh, I don't really want to get caught up on this whole subject, but some of the great great uh, great criminal minds of our time came out of there. So like uh, you know, you can have some. It's a, it's a mix. Let's just put it that way. Sure. So when, okay, so that, that was Harvard, but let's back up a little bit. When did you first feel like you wanted to get into some type of, um, well, whether it was comedy or acting or anything that that is public facing and, and yeah, entertainment? Um, no, it was really in college. I just started uh, as a outside, you know, extracurricular activity. Uh, I just auditioned and started acting in some plays and some musicals. It was kind of on a whim. I did it, and uh, that became more compelling for me than uh, the stuff I was studying, I guess. Uh, it, it, it remained something I, I always wanted to do. It's kind of one of those uh, jobs where there's, you know, you go from job to job. You go yeah. from production to production, and there's a certain uneasiness about where the next paycheck is coming yes. through. How long did it take you to get up the courage to think, okay, this is somewhere I want to go in this direction, knowing that you're going to have that uneasiness. Um, well, okay. I didn't really think, think it through that much. And, um, it is, you're right. It's a tough career in that you can have these dry spells of months and where you don't have a gig. Um, I'm fortunate to have had, uh, you know, very supportive family and, uh, able to support myself uh sometimes from the performance stuff and sometimes um from let's say side pursuits so but i know it can be an existential thing for a lot of performers they it's you know they're living and dying by whether they get the gig 
So, um, I don't know. The, I'm just trying to think and give you an intelligent answer. I never really thought that through. Um, but I probably should have. Maybe I, I, I might have. You know what? Now that you bring it up, huh? This was a terrible. Yeah, right. What am I doing life. with my life? Oh my what did God. I do with the last thirty years? Yeah. Jesus, Chris, you just ruined my. What? Thanks what a lot, that, man. Who'd have thought that some little piddly podcast from Milwaukee would create this existential crisis for you here? I know, but that's that's what it is. Truth sometimes gets shouted at you from very unlikely places. <laughs> And and there's nothing if not truth on this podcast, that's for sure. Oh. Yeah. So if you heard yeah. last week's episode, that's uh, you know. It's funny because the ty- the name of the podcast is Bait and Switch, which doesn't suggest the truth is is your currency. But there you go. <laughs> you know, that might be a bait and switch right there. We don't know. There you go. Wow. <laughs> What's more important in your business? Is it networking or is it talent? Or obviously a combination of two. But uh, what one is do you think holds the bigger key? I- I honestly wouldn't use either of those words, which might be why I don't have a gig right now. The idea of like networking, just kind of meeting people, I, that, I don't know that that's maybe at a certain level in the business that is like among uh, movie stars. Maybe it is that just being at the right party and knowing people. But the way I do it is you know, I have an agent. She sends me out on auditions or in the current world, uh, she's gets me auditions that I then self-tape. So you submit a tape of your audition and that's it really. So, um, um, talent. Yeah. And I th- also that, that word talent, I, I'm not the first to say it, but it, it, it's kind of a, it can be a fantasy. Like there, there's not necessarily, that, that, that's not necessarily a thing that actually exists. It can be, um, I think, uh, a keen interest in doing something that then leads you to spend a lot of time doing it and put a lot of effort into it. And that's what gets described as talent. But sure. that might not be true because people also then, of course, like in music, you have to actually have an ear for it. But I don't really know how rare that is. I think it's really more about how uh, passionate you are about a thing, how much you're willing to devote to it. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That make, makes sense. Yeah, to develop it like a skill. You know? Yeah, and just Anything. go at it. Just do it, do it a lot, and that's how you get yep. good at it. Yeah, a lot of practice and a lot of, uh, um, I don't know if I call it bravery, but I, it may be because, you know, it's it's for a lot of people, getting in front of a, a whole group of people doing a, a comedy uh, show would be like something they could never do. Just Yeah, a lot, yeah that does, it does bring up fear for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And um that goes away with time to, to some degree, um, sure. and to a different degree with different people. But it is true that with all of those things, with singing and with acting and with comedy, you have to overcome that, uh, that anxiety, but also learn how to use the anxiety because the anxiety can be healthy and it can be, it can give you energy and, uh, um, it's kind of what throws you out there. There's a, there's a, I can, I remember that feeling really clearly, um, like in a play the year after college, um, it was this play, I'm Not Rappaport, which is basically these two old guys on a bench. That's a lot of the show. Uh, and lots of text. And I remember that feeling of sitting on the bench, back, st- you know, right behind the curtain, mm-hmm. hearing the audience out there. Yeah. And you're, yeah, <laughs> you're behind the curtain. Just that moment of right before the curtain rises. It is, it is an intense thing. And that's part of It's fear, but it's also an intense... Um, a, a feeling of uh, being alive. The curtain's up, and then it's just—it's a tightrope. 
this yeah. thing is going to begin and it's all it's all you it's the same with comedy when you hear the MC introducing you you know it's just going to be you with the mic and, and an audience for that period of time it's intense but it's, yeah. it's, it's exciting wow yeah. what a big mistake you've made with this career holy cow it's everything <laughs> everything's on you right there <laughs> so yeah. is, is there any do you have any kind of ritual that you go through before a show or uh, whether that's anything i mean is it different for comedy no. or acting I don't think I do. Uh, you know, there's there was like uh, who was it? Was it Wade Boggs that uh, that great hitter in the in the 80s? I think on Boston, or maybe it was Don Mattingly. I think they were playing at the same time, they and were, one yeah. of them would eat chicken every game day. I think it was Don mm. Mattingly. Maybe he had to eat chicken every game day, mm-hmm. like that kind of <laughs> ritual. Yeah. Yeah. Ba- baseball players, baseball players are a little superstitious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I. It's appealing on some level, the idea that you would have a thing that would just, that you knew it was like a security blanket. Yeah. I don't think I have that. I would find myself, um, back in the day before a comedy show walking around the block. Cause if you're working at a comedy club in New York, you know, you go outside the club and then you're, you know, you're in the city and there's a block which takes approximately, I don't know, seven or eight minutes to walk around if you go nice and slowly. So it's a really good length of time to just do your whole set in your head. So I would do that kind of obsessively. I would just go outside, go through my set in my head, word for word, and then go back in and check where that, who they were up to check in with the MC. Am I next? You know, and that, that was kind of a ritual, but not a terribly pleasant one. Sure. 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 Yeah. I wanted to get back to that whole idea of talent. I was thinking, most people, if they're watching somebody like LeBron James, they look at him, they think, you know, I could never do that. Now, in your career, in your business, whether it be acting or, or on stage comedy, is there somebody in either of those fields or both of those fields that you're in awe of? And you think, geez, I could never do what they're doing. Or is it one of those things where you say, you know what, with practice, with time, I could do what Jim Gaffigan does, or I could right. do what uh, Tom Hanks does. Is that something that is attainable for you or are these people so far above other people that they can't that's be attained? A, that's, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, I want to give that a moment of thought. It's definitely different um, for the comedy versus the acting um, with the comedy. Like if you watch my special, I really feel like with the years I've put in and the work, like I, I'm, I got to a level with the comedy that's, that's top notch. I really feel that about it, about the writing mm-hmm. and the performance. So I don't look at comedians and say, Oh my God, how do they do that? Um, I feel like, uh, of course, now, of course, there's guys like, like there's John Mullaney, who's one of, one of the greats yep. working today. And there is a thing with a guy like that. I guess Gaffigan has it also. And of course, there are a lot of great comedians, but where it's transcendent. Because so many things are firing at once on such a high level. I think Mulaney really, to me, more than Gaffigan, because the performance is at such a high level. The energy and the charisma, just it's just uh, it's like lightning the whole time. That's how I feel about watching like any of Mulaney's big specials, like in Radio City. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 you know that phrase I heard it recently. Compare and despair. Have you heard that? Compare and despair. It's sort Makes of just an, uh, you know that that it's a nice thing to remind yourself about life. If you want to make yourself miserable, go <laughs> comparing yourself to the people who do stuff really well. Right, um, right. So I, I don't think I do that so much uh, with the comedy. With the acting, on the other hand, I think there is something, and you say that like about Tom Hanks. I, 
like in the opera, I did some big roles and uh, on stage I did a few, but in the TV stuff, I've been doing mostly pretty small parts or recurring things where, they, you know, it's like a supporting role. Um, so I haven't had the chance on screen to flex my acting muscle in that way. So it's kind of an, it's an unknown. I like to think I could carry a whole, a whole picture or a whole series. I would love to do that. Oh yeah. So I don't look at them and say, I can't do that. But I, it, in all honesty, I have to say, you know, that's an unknown. I haven't done that yet. I can see you doing like, a, have you seen the show Luther? Have you seen oh, that show? Is that the, um, that, um, that it's like a, an it's like American a, superhero. Right. Is it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I can, I can see you doing that, doing kind of like that, that kind yeah, of that, show. Yeah. That is amazing. That guy's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And I who is that guy? Him. We're trying to come up with his name. Yeah. Right. I know. I know. And I, I, I thought like, I thought like what an idiot. I brought up this thing. I can't think of his no, no, name. I'm terrible, but, yeah. with, I'm terrible um, with names also, as you so, can see and before, it's like a, when you mentioned, uh, like Ger- you might Jerry be a Springer. redneck. The idea oh, that I couldn't oh. think of that comedian's name. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, um, Jeff Foxworthy, right? Mm-hmm. Foxworthy, of course. Yeah. But, uh, but, but but then I get him a little bit mixed up with Tomater, which is uh, you know who? Yeah, uh, that's. Um, oh, you're you're talking about the guy from. Um, you're yeah. talking about the the Nebraska guy, the uh, Larry the Cable guy. Right, right, yeah. right. Oh, yeah. hold on a second. Are you talking about uh, uh, Idris Elba? Yes. Yep. Right, That's exactly. Oh, okay. His show. I have yeah, not yeah. watched. No, I did not no, watch. It's that a good. Series, it's a good show, but it's it's pretty intense too. And he's like, incredible. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Um, a guy like it's interesting. Tom Hanks. He's he's almost like it's almost like sacrosanct. It's like talking about Meryl Streep, where you're not allowed to say a bad word. There, it's like the pantheon of great American celebrities and actors. But I found Tom Hanks like I loved him in Bosom Buddies, like his sitcom, mm-hmm. and then I loved him. In big and I yep. loved him. I loved him in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, but I feel like around then, around twenty years ago, he started to appear on subway ads in New York for military veterans affairs. Okay, and that coincided with my sense that he was starting to almost. Uh, you know, I just watched um, Scarface, and there's that phrase in there like, "Don't get high on your own supply." Um, mm-hmm. I feel like <laughs> Tom Hanks started to believe that he had actually fought in World War II. It almost mm-hmm. seemed so sanctimonious. I could be completely wrong, but the way he appeared on these ads and then the roles he did started to all, he, he appeared like, like a saint. There's mm-hmm. something like hard. I found him hard to take. I mm. still find him. I, I don't know. And I'm sorry. He's an incredible actor. Yeah. And I, I acknowledge him. The, he's a friend of the show, by the way. But Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Give yeah. him my give him my apologies and tell him I'm a big <laughs> fan. But he's, he's I don't I don't know. Actually, we were really hoping you'd have a connection there because then you get him on the show. But I guess I guess that's not going to work. Well, if that was going to happen, now it's not. Cross <laughs> Hanks off the list. I, um, <laughs> I was looking at your acting reel on YouTube, and the one thing that I recognized you from was uh, Damages. So, what was Damages yes. like? What season were you in? I forget. That was season one, and I think maybe a little bit of. Two, maybe I reappeared. Um, yeah, that was an amazing show. Um, and talk about great actors. Glenn Close, who uh, was the star of that. I think she won some Emmys or at least was nom- nominated for, for that performance. She played a lawyer, a real hard-ass lawyer. And I play a guy who's uh, who's basically a hitman, but then it turns out he's a dirty, a dirty cop. Mm, so, um, okay. Yeah. That Again, a thug. 
another yeah, thug. That's a third grade. Right? <laughs> and I did get to uh, watch not just Glenn Close work, uh, but I got to see uh, Ted Danson, who was on the show. I oh, got to see nice. him shooting. He was incredible to yeah. watch the guy shoot a scene and his ad libs, but also just the way I remember watching. It was a scene in a restaurant where he goes to pay someone a visit and he's kind of threatening. And I just remember the way he picked up uh, he picked up the glasses while he was talking to this waitress, basically. He he just kind of picked up and observed some glasses that were sitting in a sideboard. And it was just incredible. I can't even explain why. Yeah. But you just, that was a moment maybe where I said, wow, how do you do that? Yeah. Where do you learn to do something like that? Like so, oh, right. like, you know, perfect. It seems, ma- it seems magical. What yeah. the heck? <laughs> and there's a guy who, of course, on Cheers and and other shows he spent he spent decades doing it that's part of what is yeah that's that's something i want to get back to your question about like talent or or networking or whatever chris um i it was a frustration as an opera singer we would do these productions you'd rehearse for a few weeks and then you'd have three four five performances that was the whole production then you went on to your next one but like with a lot of things the way you get really good at it is by doing it a hundred times or a thousand times yeah so that was something that i felt was missing um and at one point I took a job at a theater in Germany where it was more of that kind of system where you would do shows every night. So it was more, but that I was so used to a freelance life that that was very tough for me. Um, but I think, uh, someone like Ted Danson or Glenn Close, who then has spent decades in front of the camera, that's part of how you get obviously so good at it or Tom sure. Hanks, decades, decades of doing it. Whereas if you're going on a show and you have a day or two on the show and you do a few scenes, Great, but I've had moments like I was on the show Pose a few years ago. Pose, which people should watch. It's on FX. It's a great show. And it was one scene, and it was a very fun character who was kind of a, a schlocky uh, agent in, in Times Square in the, in, the, in the late 80s, early 90s. It was a very fun character. I had a whole day of shooting that one scene, and I remember by take five, take six, take seven, I was starting to feel like I was really sinking into it. Sure. Really like, oh man, now I'm like just really being able to start relishing it and enjoying it. And, you know, I played basketball back in the day and it's the difference between being a starter in the game and being like off the, coming off the bench. Sure. You come off the bench and you just suddenly out of nowhere, you have to get into the flow and, and be, that's a different challenge than having the whole game to warm up. Yeah. So I really look forward to, I'm hoping to, you know, at some point have a role where I get to go to the go to the studio or the set every day and just really sink into the character where it doesn't, it doesn't require that kind of a, uh, you know, that thing when you start up a lawnmower and you just really like, uh, uh, you got to pull oh, that. Yeah. You got to keep, pull, sometimes you yeah. got to pull that cord a bunch. You right. don't always get it on the first. So that's, right. the, that's the challenge. Yeah. So you've um, obviously you talk a lot about being the typecast to the thug, you know, or the Jew, thug, thug, Jew. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. Idea, yeah. Obviously. Let me just say this by the way. Sure. Typecasting gets a bad rap. That's well, what that, all casting is typecasting. It's not a bad thing. That's right. what it is. Yeah, I, I was going to just say, for. like, have you have you come to sort of embrace that? Like, fine, I'm, I'm the thug, I'm the Jew, or or really, I mean, like, and kind of like uh, a little bit of a seriousness. Like, would you like to do something a little different, or are you good? Well, I mean, you know, either way is fine. Just curious. No, both. I like to work. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to work. What sure. it is the the idea is like um, when I say typecasting isn't a problem. What it is is that what casting agents are doing when you go into the room, they're really looking for is this person's really believable as the thing we're looking for. Sure, right. That's really a lot of what's happening. When you walk in the room, by the way, they've already vetted you. They've already seen your your tape and they've already, I mean, they've seen your reel, they've seen your photo. They know who you are. They're picking out of the thousands of people they could choose from, a few people that they think could credibly 
be this character. Right. And then you walk in the room and they're saying, okay, does, do I believe it? That's so much of what the game is with, yep. with TV and, 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 uh, the series you see on Netflix. Because as a, as a viewer, you know that you that's sure. always unconsciously. That's what you're doing the whole time. You're like, do I believe this? Do I believe this? That whole thing of right. suspension of disbelief. That's the whole game. So, so no, I don't really object to this idea of typecasting because I am a certain type. So, and that's the parts I'm going to get. Sure. I had but at a, the same time, uh, yes, it would be, it's okay. nice to be able to play something completely different. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. I would, I would just say silly. I mean, I, I had a rude awakening of, of that in sixth grade. We did the show Peter Pan and I auditioned for Captain Hook. Now people can't see, see what I look like, but I'm like, I was a short kid, short blonde kid. And I was the best singer. I was the best actor. And I didn't get that part. I was ticked off. Why? They, well, yeah. they picked a tall, dark haired kid who could, you know, and he was, he was good. He was good at it. Yeah. But good. I think but they should have, they should have cast you because they can always throw a wig on, a wig on you, a little makeup. And, I mean, yeah. yeah. I've still got the short factor, but I was Smee. So I was like the secondary, you know, the highest level pirate, you know, so I was, I was okay with that. He was a little comedic, uh, you know, um, feel to him too. So I was okay yeah. with that. But it's funny though. It's exactly what you said. They're, they're looking for this stereotypical, like Captain Hook characters. So they pick this tall guy with dark hair. Makes sense. Right. You were talking about that Capital One ad earlier. There, there was an ad. It was a print ad. Maybe they did it on TV also for some bank where they would. It was about ten years ago, and the whole concept of the ad was, it was like a picture of one person. This is the person who ripped you off, and this is like your grandma. Do you remember right. those ads? And it was yeah, completely so. flipped. It was like the, the the photo of the grandma was the person who had just stolen your wallet, and this guy who looked oh, like like a hell's angel was was the good Samaritan. Was it like an identity theft thing? That's yeah, exactly what it was. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was brilliant because it really, yeah. I love that ad because it, it, it was really mind bending. And um, there's a bait and switch. There's a bait and switch for sure. The real world doesn't operate like we're talking about, but pe- the b- right. bad people don't look a certain way and good people yeah. don't look a certain way. So it's a, it's a fiction. Mm-hmm. Jim was talking about high school productions and you said you were in some high school productions. One thing that might be a truism across America, I don't know, but it was in our school, that people that were in the drama department and plays and whatnot were generally looked down upon. But then when you get in the real world, actors are considered the coolest people there are. Uh, did, you know, did you see that dichotomy? Uh, you know, were, you, were you a nerd, a drama nerd initially? And then people say, wow, he's an actor. You know, that's funny. I, I didn't really, I didn't do this in high school. It was in college I started doing it. And there, you know, I didn't get that feeling of like the drama nerd, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And I do notice that there's a hero, there can be a hero worship of, of the actors, but it goes along with a misconception by the audience about who these people are. Like they watch Matt, Matt Damon, for example, play these heroes and these, these tough guys. And people don't really connect to the fact that he's just acting they really right. identify with man this guy is badass yeah, this, this is a guy i want to hang around with all the time he's, yeah. he's the drama he's the drama guy he was the kid in the drama yeah at least in yeah. college or whatever so you're absolutely right i don't have necessarily an answer to the to the question but it's it's, it's exactly true if people are really good at playing the role the audience forgets that they're playing it and uh um yeah, they're the drama nerds. All those guys you see that you worship, they're the drama nerds. And people don't make the connection, and they should. They should have yeah. a lot more respect for those kids in high school who are doing that. 
Right. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, are you more of a comic or an actor? Which one is the thing that drives you the most? Um, it's a good question. I, I've I've been um, I've had split focus my whole life. Really, I've I've you know. So I, I have a split focus, and I do both, and I do both with a lot of pleasure. Um, I, 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 I can't answer it. But at a certain point, I definitely felt like I'm not really an opera singer, even though I was doing it professionally for a long time. At a certain point, I started to feel like this isn't, this isn't quite me, which is when I, I eventually just said, look, I, I want to pursue the stuff that, that really I feel like I click with completely. So, sure, sure. But comedy, I think comedy on some level is the most me because – I'm just a, I like to, you know, like a lot of comedians, my, my, my default mechanism is my, in my head all day long is what's the funny thing? What's funny? Like whenever anyone's talking, whatever you're hearing, your head is constantly set on that mode of, okay, where's the joke? Where's the joke? Where's the joke? And that's just a mindset um, that I have. A lot of people have it. And some people then try to make a career out of it. Right. Right. I want to make sure I tell you, I I watched some of your stuff. just hilarious like I, I was watching it uh just the other day and i was laughing a lot i mean like the the this duck duck goose line about oh, like it's you. just i mean just really really funny stuff so if, if people haven't checked out definitely go check out thank you very my, much my, yeah sure my, my question is um i also think you know about funny things what's funny about that what's yeah. funny about this not to your level i'm not you know the mid-large but you know but you know what like what's up with those peanuts but anyway no um but uh but no uh so my question is um Maybe you don't have an answer to this, but how much of your show is a lie? Like, I, like how much of it is made up, you know, versus that's a great, like, that is, you know, I, you know, I hear myself saying that's a great question, which normally I find that annoying when I hear guests say that, but that really <laughs> is a great question. So, um, none of it is a lie. And yet all of it is, I, I wanted to try to say something that sounded like a Zen riddle or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's all a mix. What I mean is, it all has a truth and it all comes out of my life. Nothing is made up out of whole cloth. Okay. But then it's embellished and it's um, sculpted into jokes. Some of the things that happened that I describe on stage happened as you hear them. So they I just happened in a way that just was very funny. So that doesn't require a lot of work. Right. Like I have a bit about the intimacy coordinator, which is a thing that you have on like sets on TV shows and in, in theater now. Someone who makes sure that you're a... Uh, everyone's boundaries are being respected Oh, okay. Um, in the, yeah. in the post me too world so that people don't feel, you know, taken advantage of or threatened or uncomfortable on set. Um, so I do a bit about that and that came right out of the fact that I was in a play at that point where we had one of those and the intimacy coordinator had us do an exercise where you had to say to your partner, is it okay if I touch your shoulder? Is it okay if I touch? And so I just ran with that and it sure. turned into the bit. Um, but the the whole question for a comedian about truth, um, again, it's related to what we were talking about before about the actors and what the audience experiences. You want to have that feeling when you're watching a stand-up comedian that that the show starts and you're really getting to know this person. Sure. That this is them. The truth that really cuts through is that this is a true version. This is the true representation of this person. Like I'm seeing a real person. Sure. So – the stuff that you say on stage has to all be of a piece where it jibes mm-hmm. so that it doesn't violate the audience where they're like, wait a minute, I thought you said. Yeah, that doesn't wait. fit. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is the difference between modern stand-up comedy in some ways in the old days when someone would just get up and crack a whole bunch of one-liners that could have been told by anyone. Right, right. So that mm-hmm. you could get out of a joke book or that a joke writer could hand you. 
Right. Um, I guess yeah, a joke writer could still hand you stuff that works with your with who you are, but oh sure. Uh, so so have you? Um, and I'm sure I think I already know the answer. But have you ever run into a situation? I've run into situations where something happens, and I think, oh, it would have been really funny if this part would have happened. And then I think, like, wait, I could actually tell that, like, in the show, like I could just tell it like it did, and then it would right. be funny. But yes, so that's to, exactly yeah. that's precisely I think how the process works. Yeah, as long as it fits with your oh yeah. Persona. I was teaching for a while. There's a place called the American Comedy Institute that teaches workshops for aspiring comics and for comics who are just trying to develop more material. And I actually kind of handed, like I had a, a, a joke that I had thought of for many years that I never used in my own act because it just didn't feel like it fit me. But then a guy was telling me his thing and he was stuck at a certain point with a joke about his parents and I, my thing popped to mind. I was like, you know, I just <laughs> take this and it ended up working just great for him. Nice. So with, that was a moment where it was like, you know, and it was in a, in a workshop uh, setting where it's totally, you know, kosher to, to be sharing and giving and comedians do that anyway. They'll give each other tags to their jokes. Sure. But this was just sure. a moment of that where it was like, okay, that's a funny anecdote. It doesn't fit my, doesn't fit my, my character. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I got a notebook that I write down my ideas that we're going to use in the podcast and I got a whole page or two, a page or two of stuff that's a little too racy. And, you know, because of my profession, I've got these jokes that I want to tell, but right. I can't do it. That's, you know, that's really interesting. That would be a moment where you could almost create an, a, a different persona. You could get up and do, it was sort of an Andy Kaufman thing, or like <clears throat> if it was, it's not you, it's a person with a different name, or you could just give those jokes to someone else and sell them to them. I did a joke on a podcast we did a couple of weeks ago, and I, I, we haven't released it yet, but the joke, the joke was something like this. And again, I'm a professional. And so I hesitated to say it. I said, uh, we were talking about beer, right? And I said, uh, I'm not a beer guy. I said, I'm not a beer guy. I'm not a wine guy. I said, if I want to relax, usually I do crack. And of course, I just let it sit there. And then the guy laughed and whatnot. And I'm thinking, should I let that go on the air? I think I'm going to let it go on the air. But anyway. Yeah, I would yeah. definitely let that go because that clearly, that just falls under the category of like exaggeration, right. as humor, and Absurd. anyone... Anyone who's awake would know that that's what that joke was. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Although, yeah. if you were running for office, then they would show that tape. Yeah, right. <laughs> Chris Byer is a crack addict. Crack addict. Don't vote for. Yeah, you're gonna vote for a crack addict. <laughs> yeah, right. Or the, like, the voice yeah. of that guy who does those ads is like, oh, Chris yeah. Byer is a crack addict. <laughs> right. There you go. You can do voiceover stuff now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you said voiceover stuff. Yeah, I saw. I saw. You know, well, you've done. You've done it. I think just oh, about yeah. everything in the entertainment um, business, right? If I could plug something, I did some yeah. voice recently for. Yeah, you can hear me on that show. Um, um, our cartoon president, mm -hmm. which is uh, okay. our cartoon president, I played uh, Erdogan, the Turkish dictator. So that's, I was. That's my voice on there, and. Uh, but just recently I recorded something. It's worth having a listen. It's a podcast called The Last Archive, season two, episode one, which is called Monkey Business. You can hear me attempting a Tennessee accent as the judge in the Scopes uh, monkey trial, the, the famous. Uh, so Nice. They convicted voice. the monkey, right? Yeah, the monkey did three <laughs> years. He got off for good behavior. And, you know, I want to say this. I want to say this for a listener's sake. You do the best Erdogan of anybody out there. Let me just say that. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. It's, a, it's a wide array of actors trying. I know I've cornered that market. Thank you. <laughs> You're the go-to guy. Oh, yeah. Teşekkür ederim. Teşekkür ederim. That's thank you in Turkish. So there oh, you go. There you go. I'm assuming you are Jewish, right? 
I am, and um, I only speak three words of Turkish, basically. So that was yeah. it. That, that was that was it. <laughs> so ironically, you get cast as Jewish and as Arabic. That's right. I mean, I, I play many ethnicities, and um, if you uh, if you listen to the album or watch the special on YouTube, Thug Thug Jew, you will hear anecdotes uh, that will make you laugh about those various characters that yeah. I play. Yeah, and the Yiddish, I remember the Yiddish joke, yeah. that was good. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, Yiddish. In fact, you know, my girlfriend and I are now binging, we're binge-watching Shtisel, which is that series on Netflix, Shtisel, which is incredible, and there's it's really? in Yiddish and in Hebrew. And I recommend that. Oh my God, it's it is unbelievably well acted and funny and moving and a, a, a lot of Yiddish. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I have to check that out. My uh, my wife is is Jewish and uh-huh. her her family is Jewish, and so I hear, you hear every once in a while she, like you're talking about schlep, you know. I mean, yes. Like, yeah, like, that's right. There's a lot of yeah, Yiddishisms yeah. that mm-hmm. have crept into English, uh, and yeah. then it's fun to hear a, like a series where that's their actual that's the language they really speak. It's, sure. it's and in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, not too far away, there's communities that, that it's the community that speaks it also. So sure. Um, yeah. I don't know about uh, copyright laws and things like that. Maybe I'll cut yeah. this out of what we're going to talk about here. But could we put a clip in this portion of the podcast from the YouTube section? Say the joke yeah. about the keys that you open up the show with. Sure. One more plug, which is 800 yeah. pound gorilla records, 800 pound gorilla. They, they're a great company because they, uh, they, so they released my album, which is amazing. They have a lot of great artists. Some of the names you mentioned earlier, uh, who, whose albums they've released, but also they, they, I think they've got involved with Netflix. So they did a deal where they're releasing as albums, a lot of, uh, the Netflix, um, catalog of great, like superstar comedians from the past. Nice. So check out 800 pound gorilla records. Uh, yeah, they do a lot of great stuff. Cool. Well, yeah. I want to thank Ethan Hershenfeld uh, for being on the show here today. We got the name right. <laughs> it is uh, funny. It is funny as we've been talking about this. I know. Because <laughs> like, in the second half, I'm, 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 I'm like having to like shed the, the first half joke. Right, right. Yeah. yeah we, we referenced that in the first half, uh, if you've already listened to it, that was our skit here involving Ethan Hershenfeld. <laughs> and he did a great job in that. And he was a good guest here for the second half as well. You can find him on YouTube. Yeah, uh, the whole his whole comedy special has been released on YouTube. It's called Thug Thug Jew. Me and Jim both listen to it. It's, uh, it's great stuff. And once uh, people are back in comedy clubs and things like that, who knows? You might be in Milwaukee, and our our, yes. our listeners should go and see you. I would love to. I got to perform at, at Comedy on State uh, in Madison a few years ago. Oh, okay. Great room. And, uh, yeah, I hope to be out there. So that would be fun to visit Milwaukee again instead of as an opera singer, as a comedian this time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that would that would be great. That's and if you friend. do, you know, feel, fi- feel free to stop by the studio, which oh, happens to be awesome. Chris's okay. chiropractic office. Yeah. I'm going to try to make that happen. Yeah, that would be Thank great. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, yeah. yeah thanks Thank a lot, Ethan, for taking the time. Appreciate right. it. That was a lot of Good fun. Night. Thank you. But wait. We've been given special permission to give you a preview of Thug Thug Jew by the man himself, Ethan Hershenfeld. Please give it up for the hilarious Ethan Hershenfeld! I keep getting mistaken for an Uber driver. <laughs> Whenever I pull up to a red light, are you my Uber? No, I'm not. I'm getting sick of it. Next person who asks, 
I'm telling him to hop in. <laughs> I get it. It's my whole Afghani, Albani, Algeri, Armeni, Azerbaijani. I'm going alphabetically. It ends with Yemeni and Zagrebi, so sit back. It takes a while. People see me, they say, he looks like a desert smuggler. I think maybe I saw him in The Mummy Returns. So he should just shuttle me to the Whole Foods. Drive, drive. But I can't. I can't drive a cab, because I'm Jewish. And if you go home and you tell your Jewish parents you drive a cab, they don't even have time to kill themselves. It's just poof. They vaporize into a mist of shame and settle on the floor into twin puddles of regret. Yeah, like I'm gonna do business with a company called Uber. Come on, Uber. It's one of the Nazis' favorite words. Yeah, Uber, it means over or superior. And they called themselves Ubermensch, Superman. And they called my people Untermensch, Underman. Yeah, Overman and Underman. <laughs> Perfect match on Grinder. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast when we're joined by the mayor of Wauwatosa, Dennis McBride. You've made it to the end of yet another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.